0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, DJs and DJs of the future, this episode of the podcast is supported by And Soda, a brand new, refreshing, no-nonsense, sugar-free, sweetener-free and gluten-free vodka-based alcoholic beverage. With only 99 calories per can, flavours include Florida Orange, British Raspberry and my personal favourite, Mexican Lime. Serve, chilled and enjoy. Check them out on And Soda across all socials. You can find more episodes of this podcast, including chats with James Hype, Ben Hemsley, Ridney, Vanilla Ace, Tim from the Utah Saints, and many, many more. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, and Mixcloud. Simply search Felix Leiter in the house. In this episode, I talked to Lefty about his incredible journey so far. His is a different story to many previously heard on this podcast. He began with a guitar in hand and toured the world with a major band before fully immersing himself in the world of house music. Lefty has settled in Brooklyn and hes secured some major releases on labels such as Tool Room, Big B, and Basement Sound. We touch on growing up in Florida, joining and setting up bands, developing his own unique sound in the studio, and so much more. This is a story you don't want to miss, so let's get into it. Felix Lighters in the house, the podcast about DJs, what they do, and who they are. Lefty, welcome to the show. How are you, sir? I am very well. Thank you for having me. And you are in New York City today. How is it?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I haven't been outside in a couple of days, but it's been kind of hot and humid, <laughs> as it is in New York summer. And you're just
0: working hard in the studio.
1: Yeah, there's really nowhere to go. You know, I mean, a lot of my friends are out of town right now because it's a holiday weekend and
0: uh... Labor Day, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so we. We came across each other, well, I I found you because I really liked some of your music um, and I kind of hit you up and we had a hilarious, well, what turned out to be a hilarious conversation <laughs> the way that we had previous knowledge of each other, but we'll, we'll come to that later on. Um, the way we always start the podcast is just to take you like right back, um, way back, way before DJing, way before producing, way before touring, all of this stuff, Um, And just what I really want to find out is the first influences of music like ever, like where were you, like, was it parents? Was it siblings? Like, just where was the first, very, very first before you're buying music, before you're, you know, you're pressing play or anything, just who's playing music around you? What is it and and where's it come from?
1: Yeah, so I think I definitely have to give a lot of credit to my whole family. My parents, separately, then my brothers, who also heavily influenced me. And they're the ones that really got me into wanting to play music.
0: Um, And what sort of music was it? Like, what were they they listening to?
1: Yeah, so this was, like, 1980s. So there was a lot of, like, MTV had just kind of taken off. So there's a lot of, like, hair metal and all the big video stuff was going on. So I liked a lot of that. And my brothers were into a lot of like the heavier stuff like Black Sabbath, Iron Maiden, you know, we like Metallica a lot. Um, but I was also into a lot of this stuff that was kind of happening late 80s as I got a little older, like Beastie Boys, you know, all that kind of stuff started taking off. Um, was into, a, you know, a mix of stuff. but I mean, I was really young, so it was pretty much whatever was kind of put in front of me, you know, as a consumer. Were they, um,
0: were they older siblings?
1: They were. Yes. Yes. I think I failed to mention that they were definitely my older. My oldest brother is seven years older than me. Yeah. So, um, you know, he was like a rock star in high school. He had like that double Velcro high top Reeboks, the long hair, the bracelets, the, you know, skimpy, you know, like mesh tank top with the spandex and all that crap, man. <laughs> he was it. Huge. He was, a, he's an incredible drummer and he had like a huge drum kit with like, you know, nine rack toms, the gong, you know, double kick drums, you know, the work. Wow. So. I got to grow up around that, which was really cool. And so was he,
0: was, he in a, was he in a band then? Yeah, like was he?
1: Yeah, he had some like bands, you know, some rocker buddies in high school. They would all come to our house and set up in our basement. We had a really big basement that was finished, so you know, it, we kind of had that going on down there, and it was really cool to always be around that. You know, all the guitar pedals and stuff. I got to just ruin everybody's days. They would have these things all set up, and I, would, I was literally little. I would go and just tweak all the knobs, and they would get all pissed off. And then anytime I stayed home sick from school was the only time I got to play the drums.
0: did you grow up in did you grow up in new york like where did you where was his family home in
1: the states yeah so that was actually not too far outside of manhattan um in stamford connecticut which is about 45 minutes away um so we grew up coming to manhattan a lot but when i was 13 we moved to florida and that's when i actually started playing music and all that
0: okay So, so we'll get to that so do you remember and this is obviously you are a I would say slightly exceptional case for this podcast in that most people aren't musicians, you know, most, most DJ producers haven't been produced, you know, haven't been musicians in the past. So this question might be a little bit um, off kilter with us as far as you, you may have become a, you may have got an instrument first. I was going to ask you, do you remember the first piece of music that was like, Physically yours, like whether it was a CD or a piece of vinyl yeah. or a tape cassette or, or was it given to you or bought for you But can you remember that first bit of music that was like yours that you owned?
1: I absolutely can and it was not one that I selected but one that I really loved a lot um, I forget which album it was but my parents when I was really young we went to like Sears and they bought like a hi-fi component stereo system they had the record player, the two tape deck, the CD, and CD CDs had basically just come up and started getting really popular, and like we're on the high end of like audio listening, you know. So they bought like these big tower speakers, and we just moved into a new house, and they're like, "Yo, we're gonna get a dope system." And so they put this in there. And when they bought the stereo, I was with them. My brothers were out, you know, doing other things in the shopping mall. And the guy was like, "All right, well, since you guys are spending like you know hundreds of dollars on the stereo." we're going to give you guys a free CD so you can go enjoy this right away. And they were like, and it gets, you get to pick it out and it's going to be yours, Alex. So this was my first CD that I got to pick. And I think I ended up, I only had a few options, but I ended up taking a Carly Simon CD. <laughs> and it was, that's what we got. I forgot what the other options were. She was the best one.
0: Nice. Um, I, I always So that uh, was
1: actually my first CD. Yeah.
0: I always remember the first This is this is um, I don't think I've said this on the podcast before, which is a weird one. But for some reason, I feel like this will entertain you. The first bits of like music that I ever kind of bought with my own like pocket money as a kid. I bought two seven inch bits of vinyl on the same purchase. One was Do the Bartman by Bart Simpson. And the other was a (laughs) double A side of Berlin. Take me to the danger zone. The Top Gun theme and Kenny (laughs) Logan's and it was like a double what well, you know i bought two 7 inch bits of vinyl so yeah <laughs> there was a the lot first... of power
1: that's a lot of power in that vinyl right there
0: <laughs> i don't think i've still got them which is a real shame because if i yeah. did i would definitely frame them but um so you were kind of like so you moved what you moved down to florida when you were like 13 and i'm yep. guessing you I'm guessing you got into that because of you mentioned your older brother and stuff. I'm guessing you got into the 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 band and the live music scene before you got into the DJing kind of scene. Is that right?
1: Yeah, definitely. You know, growing up around them, around that time when rock music was really huge, I mean peaked, you know? So there was a lot of that influence going around. My brother, one of my brothers got way more into heavy metal. The other one kind of got more into like rock, and he likes a lot of like the new wave stuff also in all the 80s. Um, but you know, I just grew up around instruments, guitars and drums. So finally, I wanted to get my own guitar because, like, my parents like, "Oh, do you want to learn how to play piano?" Which I wish I had said yes. I said, "No, piano's lame. I want to learn guitar." So I got my guitar when I turned thirteen, and we moved to Florida, and that's when I kind of started. Um, I was able to pick it up and, and play around a little bit, but then I just kind of started, you know, learning Metallica songs and skateboarding, you know, and doing that <laughs> pretty much every day. And did,
0: um, again, I mean, I, even I am, not even I, I, I am I'm not massively well-versed in in the world of, you know, bands I've never been in one, I obviously like them, but did you straight away gravitate to the bass guitar or did that come a little bit later?
1: That is a funny story that came much, much later okay. uh, when I moved to New York. Um, you're going to like that one, but I think that's for down the road a little bit. Okay. So,
0: so talk me through. I mean, again, um, you know, we, we talked before we started recording. I, I, I am super interested in your whole story, but for me, it, it, it does move and focus towards the latter end, I guess, as, as a DJ and the production and stuff. But give me kind of a, give me kind of a, an overview of that, that time in, in, in Florida when you're starting to, do you get into bands when you're younger? Do you start these bands when you're super young? Like, yeah,
1: totally. So. I lived in the woods in Connecticut and my neighbors were so far away that it was always like a sleepover hang. Like when I was in like middle school and grade school. So when I moved to Florida, it was a completely different environment and we were in this brand new like development that had like, you know, cookie cutter homes and they crept these things up in two seconds and sell them. And we were surrounded by new families and everybody had kind of flocked on there around the same time from like New York, Connecticut, New Jersey. And, um, so, I'm you know, had a, I made a bunch of new friends right away, and I was going to a new school. I was in eighth grade, it was kind of a weird time to be down there, but you know, I was just like, well, What am I gonna do? It's a Florida is such a weird place, and uh, you know, you can kind of like figure out who you're gonna be buddies with because you meet other people that are into like skating and playing music and stuff. And then there's some bands, like when I moved to Florida in eighth grade, there were bands already, and I the school that I came from. My middle school didn't have any bands. It was a really small school and there was like nobody playing music like that. So I moved down there. There was like these rock stars in my eighth grade class and it was like Nirvana. They were grunge masters, you know, totally. And like all that was taken off and um, they were just like, you know, total legends already. Then I went to high school and then, you know, they started learning about me and being like, oh, yeah, you play guitar. Like, let's jam some time. Like, can you play silver chair? (laughs) You know, it was like that. So Yeah, a lot of timestamp here. But uh, it wasn't until later in high school that I started playing in some more serious bands where we started playing local shows. And um, eventually I started this band my senior year of high school that ended up being my first like touring band. And it was me and a bunch of my close friends that really just started doing some some kind of rock, some like clean rock music where we just kind of yell a lot. And it turns out there's a whole genre of that. Um, and we didn't really fit in with them because we didn't live that life. But when we all got together and played music, that's what came out. So we had no choice, but it was cool, and it kind of became a little thing. We started touring around. We had fans like internationally and all around the country and stuff. And got in a van, played a lot of punk shows, house shows, squat houses, you know, like all this stuff all around, just selling our own merch and dragging it all in a rental trailer.
0: Because the and the US is, I mean, I've spent a little bit of time in the US, um, and I had a few, you know, friends. I think you're the first American. Based kind of well, not actually. Was, there's an English guy that um, that has done the podcast back at me. I'll, I'll shout at you later about him. But like, I think you're the first American um, on the podcast as well. And what I'm getting at is like most people, we, I would talk about the first time you would go to a club, the first time you would see a DJ. And and you, and I'm sure you you saw that. But what I mean is, you probably went through a different route, which was you were going to gigs, you were going to live music events. Um, was there ever a point where because he's going way back like you say like to the 90s I and mean, I guess we we're probably similar sort of age but like did you ever see a DJ playing you know at a gig where you, you had live music as well was it was it was that starting to happen where people Yes.
1: Were... Absolutely, absolutely. And that's when I got into DJing also. So like I graduated high school in 1999 to date myself. So that's when I kind of got my first touring band. So it was really around 2000 2001 um like indie dance and new wave parties were becoming a big thing. Yeah. especially in South Florida. So there were like DJs playing a lot of rock music, a lot of '80s music, and then like some kind of electronic stuff, like New Order, you know, and all that. Yeah. So they would actually have bands play, like grind metal bands, punk bands, dance, new wave bands, all electronic bands, um, really good ones too that were really popular. uh, And then it would turn into a nightclub, much like they do all over the UK. Yeah. So like they do that a lot of those. It was kind of the same thing, except there, where you guys are, it's like two separate events. Yeah, where this is all one night. So it's like the bands play until midnight. You can come early catch the bands and then just, it just turns into a dance party and yeah. the stage clears out People start dancing on the stage and then it's a full-on nightclub till like five Yeah, you know, and uh, I got way into that right away because my friend was a big promoter He had a really cool big party down there called revolver that was playing like, you know The strokes are really big, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff And it was just a cool mix of stuff because a lot of dance music and then like rock music, which is really big and then um we played some of those parties and then I got to DJ one finally. And that's when I kind of had my first DJ gig in like, gosh, 2001, probably. OK, so and
0: that's, those- that's I was going to say, so how did that kind of come about? Like, did you have an innate interest in it when you, you know, can you remember the first time you saw someone DJing? Because obviously for, for me and for many DJs who don't really play instruments, you know, like we we kind of really just play other people's music a lot of the time. So, so as a musician, you know, who's playing guitar and everything else, did you find it interesting to see someone DJing or did you think it was kind of less than playing an instrument or it was the same or did you what where was your mind as you were seeing someone DJing
1: yeah that's funny and I was thinking about this recently one thing I want to correct really quick my first DJ gig was I think closer to 2003 2004 not 2001 okay. yeah basically. um but I was going to these parties that started around then and then like you know I, I became really good friends with the guy and started bringing a bunch of people and he let me finally spin one and that's when I started kind of going off on there but The first time i kind of started going to these types of events and these were happening all around the state there were some in like in fort lauderdale some in miami some in orlando and i think i just remember kind of seeing it be like a totally different experience that i really appreciate a lot you know because like playing in a band like you go and you watch the band and like they're playing through their music and like the djing experience was just such a different thing to kind of be a part of and back then like you know they were playing really popular songs it wasn't like a dj was it wasn't like an artist per se and like delivering like you know their vibe they're just playing songs that were really popular so like yeah. a lot of songs had big reactions yeah and i remember experiencing that big reactions and like the feeling of like oh my god i love this song and the dj just like killing it every time you know it's just like a, <laughs> such a great journey and you're like shit man that's like it's very different you know than playing in a band where you are just like there to like perform your music and then get off stage and like this is like a, a total moment and that's when i kind of started seeing some guys like get really really popular for just being really good at that, you know, and they weren't particularly great at mixing, but it was fun. And some guys were better. And, you know, you kind of started to, I started to really pay attention a lot more and started to realize that like a lot of these guys have way different flavors, you know, than some of the other ones, even though they're all playing like the same kind of circle of music, they kind of like, you know, reach out to branch out to their own like styles. And some guys are a little more like old school funk and soul. Some guys go a little like harder, you know, rock. Some guys go a little more electronic and new wave and all that. So, um it was around that time
0: I think what's interesting like just to cut in slightly like people forget the guy that one of the guys that I used to work for uh and still do owns a club around here you probably are you know um Newcastle where you've played but like he was one of the first guys who who started to put on DJ nights that played band music like in the UK used to work at the Hacienda which is a famous club in Manchester he did some stuff in New York as well Sankeys, I think but like he was one of the first people to put on like indie DJ nights so like or like you know like so basically like what you're saying and it seems silly now to say it because it sounds like the most obvious thing in the world but it didn't used to happen it just used to be it was either just bands or or that was it and this guy was like well hang on a minute I can get a DJ and he's just going to play the best record from each of those bands for like two yeah. hours so you know like all every, star yeah so it's like every band plays like most most of the time they they save their biggest track to last or you know or, or the last couple and like but like you said djs can just go well, hang on a minute i don't need to play the other 90 minutes of like stuff before it i just hit the biggest strokes record you know followed by the biggest metallica record followed by the biggest you know whatever i got and then and it, it didn't use, like, it's just, a, it's just a silly point because some people younger listening won't realise that didn't used to exist. Like, DJs just playing massive, you know, rock record after rock record after rock record. That didn't yeah. used to happen. Um, And I guess there's, there was, I don't know if there ever was a, a clash between scenes like did you ever feel that at any point that there was a little bit of pressure between like live musicians and bands and djs was or did it all was it always quite synch- synchronous like did it always kind of cross over quite nicely
1: um it worked really well there were a lot of the smaller bars and clubs in new york were doing it when i moved up here eventually um also so it was kind of like cool to still be able to have that and it was just always fun but i don't know like i think the music started getting more electronic in general so i think it kind of just eventually segued more into that direction as music production itself started becoming more electronic sounding and less like rock based but i was going to mention too something about these these parties that i used to go to that were always really cool is that they they always had multiple rooms so it's like there's a big like mainstream room and then there would be like a house techno room and then like a hip-hop room and it's like you could just go about wherever and like i don't know that doesn't happen so much in new york because the space is so much smaller here but that kind of vibe was always great because you could always just like dip out and experience something totally different yeah. You know, but like, this was like the main room was always like all that big commercial music and, you know, just like always just smashing it <laughs> every time. So, for, but I mean, there were some cool, there were some big indie hits too that weren't big songs, you know, like the Walkman would always be a song that goes off. Like they play a lot of like the faint, you yeah. know, some cool like indie dance stuff. Like you were saying, it was always like, but those songs were like monsters back then to that scene, you know?
0: Yeah. Did you, did you, was it always just in your head that you were going to be, um, in, involved in music like was it always just that's the way I'm going to generate an income that's going to be my job or was there a time when there was something else going on and music was secondary to it or was it always just like because you said you got your first touring band pretty quick out of high school like was it always just nailed on that's what was going to happen or did you go to college and try and do something alongside it what happened
1: yeah I definitely did uh, I attended culinary school and I went to like a trade school that was only 18 months right after high school And the cool thing about Florida is that it's very seasonal down there. So during the summertime, a lot of the people that live down there during the winter time come back up north to like New York and all that. And a lot of the businesses close. So especially in the restaurant industry, I I was working at a a yacht club at the time that you basically like, you know, they've like members and you like cater events and they have a restaurant and all that stuff that they can dine at. But Uh, They would close for the summer, so I'd go on tour during the summer, work all winter, and it was a really nice balance, yeah. And I was able to kind of sustain that for a long time in my culinary field because I moved – later my band, we all moved to uh, central Florida. Um, Orlando, which most people think of Disney, but there's actually like a city of Orlando that's like a downtown metropolitan area that's had a really good music scene, better than Miami at the time. Better parties, better venues, better shows coming to town because it's not as deep as Miami – so like any band in a van, like, you know, they could save eight hours of driving by not going all the way down there and coming back up. So um, so it was cool. It was a cool place to go and and be part of that. But uh, yeah, I, I worked in restaurants. I was a sous chef. I've done all this stuff. I was a butcher, man. <laughs> I started my own company when I was like 21 years old. Me and uh, an executive chef left a restaurant that we really turned around and started a food and wine pairing catering service that exclusively did wine dinners of up to like 20 people. Those weren't as popular yet. I mean, this was like 2003. Could I, I say, it sounds happened. like you were a bit ahead of your time. 22. One, to be <laughs> I, I was, yeah, 2002. And I was like super young and I was really into the wine scene. And being young in the wine industry is not easy. So, you know, you kind of just got to be like really humbled and like always open to learning. And like a lot of people's really strong opinions, especially if they've been drinking, because there's a lot of older guys that are like, oh, the young kids don't know or you know, and all that crap and uh yeah we did really well you know except you know i had a falling out with my business partner and things kind of got ugly and some people are not designed to be in the alcohol industry i'll just leave no. that
0: out. yeah so are we are we about to get to the, the picking up the bass guitar story or are we still a little yes bit? yeah
1: yeah we're almost there so that actually is what ended up bringing me to new york okay so that 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 business venture ended i moved back down south uh i stayed with my dad for a while and i moved to new york eight months later On a whim, I got a job at Whole Foods delivering groceries so I could transfer to New York. And I slept on a couch for like a month while I looked for an apartment with my friend who was, uh, you know, moved up with me. And um, yeah, about three months into that, I started another band that started kind of taking off that was like an indie pop kind of like indie folk band with my buddy from high school. And this is all going to tie together very quickly. Yeah. So we started a band called Ivy League here in Brooklyn and we started playing a bunch of shows. And we put out some records and uh, you know, we, we started getting some press and all that. And we had made some friends here in New York, going to these parties Like we were doing this. And then also going to these like indie dance parties at all these bars. And I don't know if you're familiar with like Miss Shapes was a big party in New York. Yeah. That was a lot of like new wave and like disco and, and all that. It was, it was a lot of fun. So we were frequently that kind of stuff. And um, we, we basically got proposition to join a side project for this other guy who he was starting a new band called Cobra Starship. yeah. And at first we weren't sure cause he was like, listen, I don't know what this is going to be for Ivy league. And he was a fan of Ivy league, which is why he wanted us to be in this one with him. And we weren't really sure what was going to happen. So at first we were like, you know, let us think about it for a little while. We're not really sure we don't want to end this cause we started getting some traction. Sure enough, he ended up getting a big song placement for his new project Cobra Starship in the movie snakes on a plane. And we were like, maybe this will be a good opportunity to quit our jobs, you know, and and start doing music. We had actually auditioned to play for Ben Queller not too long before then. Also, he was looking for two guitar players, which we both played guitar at the time. Um, So finally, we agreed and we said, sure, we'll join Cobra Starship. And he's like, yeah, we're finishing an album. You can come play some of it in the studio if you want to be on beyond it a little bit. It's almost done. Because we had been going since the movie song is getting popular, it took off overnight. That song, you know, on the MySpace era, ended up being like an internet sensation. And so he was getting ready to go. So we said, "All right, let's do it. Screw it." And we were both going to play guitar originally. Guy was saying, and this is where I started playing bass. Basically, there's a guy that was going to be the bass player who decided to. I guess he backed out or something at the last minute. And our manager, who's a good friend of mine, still is, uh, was like, "Listen, we only need one of you guys to play guitar, actually." maybe one of you guys can play bass figure it out so we flipped a coin and i lost and i became (laughs) the bass player (laughs) (laughs) wow okay i'm sorry that was a long story that was no 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 no
0: no no not at all it was absolutely, and it's all on your wikipedia page pretty much anyway because i read it a while ago but um but i mean again without going too deep in this how easy is it to switch to being a bass player? Like, is that not a completely different, I know it's, I know it's still guitar, but is that not a different mindset? Is that not a different kind of skill set?
1: Right. I mean, at that point I'd been a guitar player for many, many years. Okay. Um, Right. Like, uh, I don't know, at least like 12, 13 years or something like that. So, so I was like, sure, I can play bass. That's fine. No problem at all. But then we started touring with other bands and we were, you know, friendly with our touring buddies and, I realized that the bass players and the bands play very differently than I do. And I was like never really like, you know, I had done a little bit of like really simple recording stuff, but I never really got into like the idea of the instrument and like really what it what you can do with it. So I played it like a guitar for years on okay. stage. You know, I played with a pick, I'd shred on it, and <laughs> you know, do all that stuff. And it was a lot of fun. And it was kind of cool. It made me stick out a little bit because I did play it differently, you know? Yeah. But um, it wasn't until I started getting into producing some like disco house and stuff around the blog house era that I started to really look at it differently and get more into like the funky elements and like the all the in-between hits, basically. Yeah,
0: because we'll we'll, we'll get to this later on, but like your, I was playing it to um, um, Mark, who I I work in the studio with, like my engineer, basically. And um, we were like listening to some of the new stuff and we were like, he's got some funky fucking bass lines. (laughs) And 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 I was like, yeah, he's a bass player. And he was like, oh man. Um, but, yeah, he was really loving your stuff as well. But we'll we'll, we'll get to that. Um, so let's just pick, you know, without, like, um, obviously, Cubby Starship, huge deal. You know I mean? To the world, massive, you know, huge success. But let's focus in on the side of that, which is now getting you to where you are now and, you know, lefty and everything else. So talk a little bit about, you know, first of all, when did you start to do, like, were you, you know, at what point did you start to think, oh, I could DJ like Cobra Starship after shows like that could be kind of fun. Like how soon did did that happen?
1: Yeah, so not too long after. I mean, actually, since the very beginning of Cobra Starship, we were already into nightlife and we met the singer from Cobra, Gabe, um, going out to parties. So we were all into nightlife. I mean, we were a, very much a party band in general. So we started doing <laughs> after parties on our first tour. So we would go and DJ and play like kind of similar music, like I was talking about, like the indie dance stuff, and then some like you know so, some other like a lot of eighties and you know just songs that we love, you know. Um, but then the bloghouse scene started taking off, and that's when things started to get really cool and different. And we were like, oh, like we can definitely play this stuff because it's a lot of it's kind of like rock music, and got in you know obviously into like this the disco grooves and the disco house and stuff like that. So started making music like that, um, and we were pretty much doing you know, it from the beginning. I mean, there was a point where we started getting booked for some really big events as Cobra Starship as we started getting like radio success. Yeah. And we were DJing like commercial house events, like big ones where we would play like a lot of barn burners. I mean, we, we opened up for Afro Jack in the Philippines at a wow. festival DJing. like yeah.
0: As like builders as Cobra Starship, like DJ set. Yeah. Wow.
1: Cobra Starship DJ set. Yeah. Wow. And then, and then we started doing this stuff where we would like go on tour, like, um, We'd book after parties and do like a mini performance where our singer, we'd have like a couple, like we'd remix some of our own music and he would sing over a track. That's our song. That's like a kind of a new remix version of our own music. And he would kind of sing, perform it to the club. And then we would DJ for like an hour. And we started doing that a bunch. We would fly around. We were home in between tour, fly to San Francisco, fly out to all these places and do these little one-off gigs um, we are playing like a lot of like the big, like commercial music and then mixing our own kind of cool stuff in between. So like, you know, you could play some like justice and, you know, fun, funky, like French house stuff that we like, and then drop into to like the Cobra stuff and then play some like big commercial bangers.
0: And then you also realize, I mean, you're the, probably one of the better people to talk to about this on the podcast, but like, you know, taking a band somewhere, like, or taking a band on tour, like, that's kind of a big deal. Like, you know, you've got a minimum of, like, the band members plus techs plus, you know what I mean, whatever merch guys or whatever else. You've got to pretty much take all your own equipment, drums, guitars, everything. Like, that's that's a big deal. Going and DJing somewhere, like, <laughs> you just, t- you'd pretty much just one guy can turn up. Or oh, even if it's the singer as well, it's pretty much two or three guys, maybe a TM, maybe. And equipment-wise, it's yeah. already there. So, like you know you again you're a good person to talk about it because the difference in like logistics like you said you came back from tour and you could just pop off somewhere do a quick dj thing pick up a nice load of money and then you know go back and rehearse or do the tour it's it's, it's very different um it's a very different logistical challenge to to go and dj as it is supposed to taking a band on tour
1: yeah absolutely i mean and that was cool because we also got to do it on tour every night so like oh, cool, you're in Salt Lake City, we're going to play the show, shower right after, you know, and then we're going to go to the club, you guys are DJing from one to three, and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. So they send a limo, a stretch Hummer zine and all that, <laughs> and then we go off. And then, but, you know... It's also double double the work, man. It's oh, it gets don't really start with that. When don't, that don't don't <laughs> start with that.
0: It's hard work. Story. I'm not buying that. Well, let me let me. I, I know it is, but let me let me tell the story then. So how we kind of uh, are now having this podcast. So I basically hit hit Lefty up like a couple of weeks ago because um, I'd seen some of his records and was like, wow, yeah, these are real cool. Like let, let me hit him up and you know just say hi and tell him I like his records and stuff. And we were just chatting on like Facebook Messenger. We'd never spoken before, and, you know, I'd sort of said, I like music, and he said, thanks, and I sent him some of my stuff, and, and then he'd sort of said, oh, where, where are you? And I was like, oh, I'm based in Newcastle in the UK. I was like, oh, I think I've been through there um, with my band. And I was like, all right, what what band's that? And he was like, oh, I used to be in, like, you know, I like a, a, a pop band, and I was like, come on, tell me what it is. And he was in there. So he said it was Cobra Starship, and I was like, fuck off, um, because it so turns out that many years ago about – Nine years ago, uh, looking at my iTunes, I remixed the Cobra Starship track called "You Make Me Feel." Don't go and listen to it if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> it's, it's pretty awful. Um, I, uh, you know, it, not the not the Cobra Starship part of it. I might add the um, my part of it. My remix is a uh, is not ideal. But yeah, we found that quite funny. So I guess it's I guess it's interesting how how things how things cross and how things move so let's let's not get um let's sort of move let's become fluid into the the birth of lefty as an artist and you know the music that you 're now making and and, and pre corona and, and where we're going you know post so without going into massive amounts of detail about you know the, the, about your about the end of cobra or your end of, of being in cobra. How did Lefty come about and why did you decide to start doing it? Where did the, the sort of the brand come from, the name? Where did the music that you decided to play come from? Just talk us through that mindset really a little bit and that journey.
1: Sure. Um, I think I just need to backtrack a little bit to a time during the Bloghouse scene and Cobra and stuff like that. My buddy from high school that I had the indie pop band that we joined the pop group with, the full on commercial uh, we also had a secret project at the time called Grave Robbers with no vowels, G R V R B B R S, and we were doing a lot of the disco house, and we kind of had a spooky theme to our sound, like, like classical is like Beethoven, like dead Beethoven, okay, <laughs> you know, even though he's he is dead, but like yeah, you know zombie zombie Beethoven. Anyway, um, so I, you know we would DJ out a lot around New York while we were in between tours, also, and like go play these parties and was always really into like the disco house stuff that was happening. Um, you know, and we incorporated it into some of the Cobra Starship sets also. We would like, you know, like have like mini DJ sets during some songs and like play like Barbara Streisand was a really big song at the time and stuff like that. Right. Total timestamp. Anyway, it is it's a forever hit that song.
0: Duck sauce. So, yeah, Van, Van Helden's yeah. my Van Helden's my hero man. So it's it's oh, easy yeah, for yeah. I'm fine with that. You can talk about Van Helden as much as you want.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, been a fan of his for a long time and all that. So, so eventually, my time in Cobra ended, and I really was, uh, you know, going after a career as a producer because I had produced a lot of music for the band. I started doing some co-writing sessions and working with other artists and producers and whatnot. And I was like, you know what? I think this is gonna be the next chapter of my life. So, I uh, I got signed to a publishing deal. And I started doing a lot of music making with other writers and, and whatnot, and trying to pursue that as a, as, as a long-term career. And I reconnected with this guy who was managing some other DJs. He was actually the former booking agent for the Cobra Starship DJ gigs, right? Okay. He's like, I ran into him, he's like, hey, are you still... Because we actually did some remixes as Cobra, and he got us this one remix for Iconopop that ended up being really successful. And uh, he knew that I was a big part of that with my buddy, Ryland and he's like are you still making dance stuff because you guys like killed it with some of these remixes i said yeah actually uh, you know i dabble around a little bit and he's like well listen he's like i know you're in songwriting and I, I have i work with all these really talented producers but they're not songwriters or vocalists or anything maybe you can write with some of them so he connected me with these guys that are now really good friends of mine called solid disco and um we we became really good buddies and i got really inspired by those guys getting into making disco house again because they were like that was like their sound you know and we would geek out on all the classics that we loved and would make a lot of cool records together. And the manager, you know, their manager was like, hey, listen, if you want to try and put something together, maybe we can get a project off the ground for you. So I had a bunch of disco house stuff already. So I, I then was like, you know what, let's do it. And I started Lefty. Um, and My buddy Rylan actually suggested the name because it's been my name and my, my nickname and my family my entire life because I'm the only left-handed one <laughs> in my immediate family. So he was like, Duh lefty because i couldn't think of a name and uh yeah that was that so i started you know right out the gates making really funky disco stuff man house music you know disco house
0: what were you producing this stuff on which door were you using what bit of software were you using
1: i've been on logic since seven express okay for a long time so i uh i did get into ableton for a while when we were doing that project grave robbers and djing a lot of the cobra stuff yeah, I was DJing with Ableton, actually, yeah. and uh, I would make mixes in there and use the launch mode, launch clip or whatever, and I don't know, I'm just a faster producer in Logic and can kind of get my ideas down very easily there, so I'm really happy with that so far.
0: And what was your first, it wasn't Mix, mix Mash, was it? What was the first sort of um, releases that you put out as Lefty? What labels were they coming on?
1: <sighs> actually, the very first Lefty release was a Solid Disco remix on Mix Mash, and um, after that, what did I? Oh, was it do? was we, it like
0: Mixmash mash? Like was it like mash deep or something? Because I released. Yeah, it yeah, yeah. Because I released on it like, like mix mash deep or like not not the the main AD, EDM label.
1: Well, so the first one was Mixmash for the remix, but then I released my first original on Mixmash mash deep.
0: That's right. I think I've seen the cover. It's like a blue cover or something. I think. I remember,
1: yeah, it's it. a blue cover on that one. Yep castle was the name of the song that's kind right, of a mix it, of like classic house and a future kind of future house because i did one there. with
0: um i did a track with um sultan and ned shepherd that came out on like Mixmash deep and i think that was about it was around the same time because i remember seeing it at the time but not really oh connect, nice but not really connecting the dots obviously but i remember seeing it and kind of being aware of it and then when i was doing a little bit of research prior to this chat as soon as i saw the cover i was like yeah, like it kind of. You're
1: like, that was a smash. Kind of <laughs> came back. Kind of <laughs> came back. Um, so, when cool. so
0: when was so when was that? How many years ago are we talking now? Like about five years ago? Or was... About
1: then, yeah, maybe a little less. Okay. I think so. I think it was actually around this time, about five years ago now. Jesus. Okay. Yeah, time flies. This year doesn't count. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. We'll, we'll, we'll get on to that. Um, we'll were, get on to that.
0: Were you, were you DJing out as Lefty? Were you starting to get kind of like putting that branding on some billing and stuff? And
1: Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I opened up some gigs for Solid Disco. Um, and I actually played with with Armand and Solid Disco at uh, Brooklyn Electronic Festival, Brooklyn Amazing. Electronic Music Festival, BMF. And uh, I closed out from 4.30 to 6.00 and it was awesome. A bunch wow. of people stayed and... Got lost in it. Man.
0: How, it was cool. how does that sound? Um, I mean, not even just then, even now. I mean, obviously, I, I mean, we're not including the like the pandemic, but I mean, like pre. You know, like even last year. How does that sound? Work in in New York. How does it translate across the rest of the states? Like, obviously, there's that there's that famous like New York disco CD that Ammon put out, like a mixmag cover CD. I don't know if you're aware of it. I'll send you. It, though it's wicked. But how does that sound? Because when I hear your music. I'm like, wow, that's fucking great, and like, I I could imagine it in the gigs that I play. I've played some of it, but I was never quite sure how that fitted in the states. Like, obviously, the states is a vast place, but does it work really well in New York? Does it? Does it work in LA? Does it work where? How does it? How does it fit in?
1: Yeah, that's funny you ask. I mean, in New York, it's tough. You know, New York is a tough city in general because it's such a huge place that it's like. You know, there isn't much of a local scene. I mean, everybody always complains in music that, like, there's no togetherness. There's no community here. Everything's so segregated. But nobody really tries to change anything around here. And it's tough. I mean, you have a lot of headliners always coming in. So it's, like, really tough to kind of get a party going. And you you have to either do that, get your own name by doing a party and getting that going. Or, you know, try to get on some bigger bills or become, like, a headliner, you know? Yeah. But, uh, It hasn't been easy, especially, like, I don't know, like, three years ago, four years ago, maybe, and up until not that long ago, like, techno and trance were getting, like, really, really popular in New York and Brooklyn and stuff like that. So, you know, my music sound actually has changed a little bit in general, too, because when I came out the gates, I was, like, going really, like sugary kind of new disco like pop leaning new disco and stuff like that and you know I, I also come from songwriting world so i was into like making my music more song oriented and yeah less groove based and stuff like that and it was tough I, I I couldn't find a home in a lot of places because in the dance world they were like oh yeah your music is a little bit too it's a little too pop and then i would try to be like all right well maybe i can squeeze into like the pop world but it's not poppy enough
0: for the pop it's world. it's not pop <laughs> enough
1: it's too <laughs> dance yeah so I was like, well, how can I DJ this stuff? I mean, I made it to be DJed, you know, so I would DJ out and I'll play the songs and it works, you know, like I can, you know, when you actually like play it through like a DJ set, it had a, it had a nice flow to it and it was just tough to get the support. So I put out some, some, you know, more lyric forward vocals that, that got a lot of big support and stuff like that. Cause you know, I always, you know, have been doing like the inflights and all the DJ service and stuff and um, you know, a lot of guys supported it and it's cool because it's like, they don't play a lot of that stuff. So the drop one isn't so bad either, but I don't know. I had a tough time kind of finding opportunities to jump on stuff. And I think about two years ago, my sound kind of started to change to more like drawn out kind of like disco house grooves and less like big impact, like vocal bangers, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess. I which, don't even know.
0: No, no, which nobody, it, 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 it makes total sense. Like when, when you saying it like that, because, and I can identify with it, you know, you came from. Not just the band world, but then DJ-wise and the Cobra stuff, there were you were playing bangers, you were playing big songs that have big effects, uh, not big effects, but big impacts and cause big reactions. So they're naturally the songs that you want to try and create are or write. Um, yeah. it's, it's not always easy to, to do those songs, and then you tend to find and I'm doing it now, you tend to find the sound and you sort of sit back in it a little bit and just start to create good records in that sound as opposed to trying to create a hit in that sound right um which so but i mean you've had like you know obviously you've got the massive thing with anna nesby on on tool room tell me a little bit about how that record came about and and the story behind that track
1: yeah funny story so uh right before that record i had another song on tool room come out called juice right and i was collaborating with my buddy n2n who's a dj from san francisco although he used to live in new york and i think he's moving back uh we're good buddies and um he was over here at my house we were working on that record and you know i had laid down the bass and put all that stuff together we had kind of worked on the ideas together and i was like listen do you have any cool like vocal pieces we could try to use he's like oh i got this cool soulful acapella so we dumped it in we chopped it up and we made the words say lord i got the juice which are not the words of the song but (laughs) we were able to it was like you and then i added the s and it just in the in the flow it sounded like juice (laughs) it was kind of cool so we did that and i was like listen i don't think we can use it and because you know we made new words let's just get somebody to re-sing it so i had somebody recut the vocals and then we built the harmonies i built the harmonies out with her and we did all that build stuff nice but i was like who was that original acapella and it was ann nesby and i was like oh my god she's got this incredible voice like of course i know her you know I was like, I didn't realize that was her. I forget what the other original acapella was, but I uh, I looked her up. I was like, maybe she's like, you know, still doing stuff. And sure enough, I found her social media and I got in contact with her manager. Wow. And was like, listen, you know, I'm putting all this stuff together. I might have some cool opportunities here and want to like try and do something together. And you know, I I kind of went through my whole story with him and what I've been doing and stuff. And we got along really well. We had a lot of we started talking for a long time. You know, and she was down. He sent me a couple things to work on. Um, I was going to try and pitch another song that I produced under another acapella for somebody else, like a more pop song, because I, I was into that game for a while. I was like, maybe we can do this now and, you know, like sell the top line. Not like a vocal top line, but like a writing, you know? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, they sent me Rejuvenate. And I was like, oh, man, I, I chopped it up a little bit. I changed some of it. They sent me the original Pro Tools session. Um, which was a song that she actually already released, um, but I redid the acapella and I was like, "Listen, I want to put this out as a new original song featuring Anne," and they were down for it. And I had the idea, I had the vision for the whole drop with the bassline and the cowbell and everything, and I just it just happened really quick. I was like, ah, oh, I just want this like nasty groove on the drums and the bassline to just kind of like swim in between it, and then have the cowbell be like the star of the drop, and that happens around her vocal, which is obviously the real star of the song."
0: Yeah. And how? And what's the relationship? You've obviously got one to feel like that's on Tool Room as well. Um, and is it? Is, how's, who's that gone through? Is that all for your manager, or do you have a relationship with Mark or Pete? Or like, where's that kind of Tool Room connection come from?
1: Yeah. So, well, okay. So I signed my first record with Toolroom and Love Another at the same time. I, I was working with this other management previously, and one guy just had a random email for uh, Danny Riz. I don't even know how you say his last name. Danny Riz, the DJ? Okay. Rice? Yeah. He, uh, he works at Tool Room. He A&Rs and does, uh, I believe he's comp- he, like compilation manager, album management, some sort of title like that. And um, we sent him two records, and he's like, hey, I think this one would be really cool for Love Another, and we want to put this one on a, on a comp. And it was uh, Wanna Feel. They put cool. it on the Ibiza comp yeah 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 so then I was like, cool well, I'm in contact with him and I ended up not continuing to move forward with those managers and I uh, just kept sending him stuff and he's like, oh yeah, we'll use this one and then we'll use that one so finally I was like, listen would love to try and get a single on here and I was like this is I know this is a little different for like the tour room sound, but I think this one's really special uh, let me know if you guys would be interested and they were into the idea and that's when we signed rejuvenate cool
0: um and a little talk 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 to me a little bit about um what you're gonna do that's coming out on basement sound that's alex preston's label right
1: yes sir yeah we've kind of become internet friends and well acquainted like-minded individuals um as just being kind of like
0: he's he's one of those talented guitar motherfuckers as well isn't he alex preston he does like
1: those yeah he's nasty guy yeah oh yeah big time yeah yeah, I started seeing him around, seeing all his videos. I thought that was really cool that he did the live performance, yeah, uh, on top of his DJ sets. And like, I really love the music that he makes and what he plays when he DJs and stuff. So, you know, we kind of started interacting and talking and stuff. And you know, we talk about a collab, you know, hopefully soon. And um, I had sent him what you going to do, which I've had for a very long time. I've had that record okay. for about four or five years. It's one of the first Lefty records I actually made.
0: Wow. And
1: I I played it out a lot and i just never knew what would be the right time and i always loved it and i was like man i don't know like other things just kind of kept happening like juice happened rejuvenate happened you know the things leading up to that before then were going on and finally i just had this sitting here and i was like you know what i had i had added that vocal the vocal wasn't always there um and I, i added it in there and i was like you know what we're talking about doing a label or a record on alex's label i was like i think this might be really perfect and He was down the day I sent it to him. He's like, Yep, love it. (laughs) He's like, We'll send you paperwork later.
0: I think there's, I think there's, I've been getting a bit, a bit lost in, 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 in lockdown over the summer with, with, with music and stuff. And the one thing that I have to keep kind of reminding myself is, and that's a great lesson of it, is that like a good record's always a good record. Like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't go, out of date it's not that if you make something today six months later it's 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 out of time or anything do you know what I mean and a lot of the stuff that I've been working on over the summer I'm like oh god I just want to get it out now and you know what I mean but then I kind of have to just keep going look look, just calm down like and then you again even that one story really highlights exactly that is that things can change things can be fluid a vocal can come a vocal can go something can be re-sung you can cut something and and I think I used to be especially like five, six years ago, probably around the time I did a remix for you. I used to be, I used to be in like a rush with everything. Like everything was, I was in a rush to finish it. I was in a rush to say that it was finished. Like, even if it was just in my own head, like that's done, that's finished. Like I'm finished with that record, release it. Like it's, it's, it's done. And like now I'm much, much slower with stuff. And I like, I'll work on something and then I'll park it for a bit and I'll work on something else. And then I'll play it out. And then I'll. That's the other thing I've really missed over the summer is not being able to just play stuff out and test it and hear it in a club, hear it in a bar. Like, you know, like I've missed that. But yeah, definitely. Like now I'm a, I'm a lot better at, at having, like, before I would have one idea, one track, and it would be like, that was it. Until it was finished, that was all I, w- I would do. And sometimes it would batter my brain and I'd just get sick of it. And now I have like three or four things on the go. I'll work on this. I'll leave it for a little bit. I'll come back and listen to it in a couple of weeks. Like, And I think that's, yeah. even that kind of the, the what, 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 you, what you're going to do story, I think really highlights that about music, especially like music that we're talking about now, like dance music, house music. These records, they can evolve. They have their own little lives sometimes and they kind of go down different places and come back again. Um, oh, Absolutely and i think that's really interesting um what so let's let's wind back to like you know the end of january start of february or even just like last christmas kind of time like so before we we have the full understanding of what 2020 is going to kind of reveal itself to us what were you thinking like what was the kind of lefty plan like for that brand for that for that um for that sound and you know, yeah, what was what was the plan? I'll, the next question you can guess, but what 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 was the plan
1: at the start of the year? Well, um, so I had just started working with my now managers who uh, I've known Vanessa for a long time. She actually worked for the very first guy that kind of helped me get started. and we had kind of disconnected. She's now, you know, managing a few people on her own, and I'm one of them, and it's going really great. We had a lot of really awesome plans at the top of the year, Um, you know, signing records, getting stuff out. We had Rejuvenate, you know, on the table. We were really excited about that. And um, also the the Tool Room comp and all this stuff. We were just lining up releases and it was all falling into place. Like our whole plan was going down. And we were really trying to focus on live, which is (laughs) sadly what we lose, you know. And... Things were actually starting to go really well. And I was about to kick off a whole bunch of touring finally. Like, because, like, I, you know, I haven't really toured out that much at all as Lefty, really. I've done some out of town gigs, but not that many. And I play around New York here and there, you know? Um, but we were really like about to go full on. You know, we had a bunch of stuff in the calendar, a bunch of cool stuff in New York um, that some of it's getting rescheduled and whatnot. And, you know, we we're booking all these gigs in like, you know, San Francisco, Arizona, Texas, Miami, Chicago, all around, and really gonna try and start get that going, lock in, trying to lock in an agent and get my touring career going. So that was the main plan, and right when I was supposed to go to my first gig, which was, a, um, it's like a surf competition in Puerto Rico, I ended up not going, because I was gonna be in Miami for Miami Music Week, and I was yeah. gonna be with my parents, and I didn't want to get them sick, and that's when everything really just fell apart.
0: Yeah, which is a shame. And how have you and how have you that sounds like now in hindsight, that sounds like a really shady question (laughs) to ask. But I think it but you have to ask that question to set up these questions, which is, which is, how have you found the last six months or so? Has you found it? Have you found it? a window to creativity are you now sat on like 15 new tracks have you found it hard like have you found it difficult to get the creative juices going and to get records made without you know being out gigging and getting influences how have you just found these sort of six months have you turned to something else have you done more writing for the people like how have you found these these last sort of six months or so
1: yeah i actually doing i'm doing less writing for other people and producing for other people um i've done that heavily in potential very recently up until this year to be honest um that's always been a weird experience for me and i think i'd rather just like i think i'm just more mentally designed to just make my own music and not work on music with other people because it's a whole long story but But it's an interesting uh, story
0: because some people find it like it's so converse for some people like in the sense of i work with engineers and no friends and no people who are like I just, I can't work on my own stuff. It does my fucking head in. I get lost in it. Whereas when someone comes and sits with me or when I'm working on it for someone else, I feel like, great, they've given me a brief. Like, this is where we go in. Like, I'm getting paid. Yeah. I've got to do it. I've got to get it finished. Like, and, and I know some people actually kind of weirdly like that in a way, rather than just being sat on their own looking for, um inspiration so it's just interesting that you say you know you feel like you're more built to just work on your own stuff that's not a criticism or a or a you know it's not positive or negative uh, either or um either th- thought process but it is just interesting because different people work in different ways
1: yeah i also think coming from such a long history of playing in bands and always having to collaborate with other people on music it's been really nice just being able to kind of do my own thing and i have to do with too many uh, cooks in the kitchen you know <laughs> so you know, I think for that reason, I like it. I mean, even like producing stuff for other people where they just send me a cappellas and they're like, cool, can you make a whole new track? Like, I've had some really cool experiences over the years where that's happened exactly like that, where I, I reproduced some songs that Sia wrote that I had her acapellas because the previous Cobra Starship management who manage her, they're like, hey, do you want to reproduce this? And like, here's an acapella, make a whole new track, like a remix, but it's a pop song. And, you know, we're going to pitch it for something else or use it in a movie and all this stuff has happened like that. So they know that I kind of have a knack for remixing and cool. I can even like reproduce a whole pop song from just an acapella and make something totally new and different from the original vibe. And like, doesn't have to be a dance record. It could be just, you know, whatever. So yeah. I don't know. It's like, I, I actually really went in really hard during this time and caught a really great creative wave cool. and influence. And it is, weird and does suck not being able to play out and kind of like try stuff and read a room and and do all that but uh i kind of started or even go
0: out and hear other people like that's the thing like Uh,
1: yeah yeah, exactly
0: yeah i number one miss playing out because i'm selfish but number two i miss standing somewhere like side of stage or i've done a warm-up or i'm playing somewhere else or i'm just going to see a buddy and i hear a dj play something or someone and i'm like i've got my phone out and i'm like yeah, writing down yeah, an idea it and i'm like motherfucker oh it's and it's not always you know sometimes it's just like oh do you know what i'd mix into that and then it's like that gives you an idea and then you go off onto something else oh, yeah. and you're like oh god i've never heard that in a club before like that gives me this idea and that acapella gives me that idea and like yeah so i've i've found both of those
1: tricky absolutely man yeah I, I really miss that a lot i don't think i've ever not been inspired at like a at a dj environment yeah even just when you hear like a guy just playing like old like disco and funk stuff it doesn't have to be a crazy specific thing but you're just like oh man like that bass line is so sick or whatever it is you know like oh i gotta remember this song and sample it later and make a like <laughs> a bootleg or something there's always some inspiration that comes from that too so i do really miss that and i started trying to pay attention to like a lot of music that was rolling out and And then I actually just really disconnected from everything I said, you know, I don't want to pay attention to anything else and just really dig deep into the dark cave of just pure, like no influence, but creative, just kind of grabbing and see what comes out of it. And following my gut, you know, I was able to kind of start getting some records signed and I was like, you know what, let's just try to like fill out the year with releases. And I think there's going to be a great opportunity for somebody like me to kind of start making some more like, you know, headway in the industry because... A lot of people aren't releasing music. A lot of people aren't, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And it is tough without the DJ support, believe me. I mean...
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that a lot because I have I was just on the phone to my management this morning. Like, I've had a couple of tracks out over the summer. And to be honest, I could have had at least two or three more out and I've dragged my heels and I've, like... Because without that, that's... I mean, from my point of view, from my, and I think we do come from different perspectives, although we like the same music, we come from different perspectives, different backgrounds. My background is... DJ's break records like especially yeah. in Europe like if you have a track like even going back to that Joy's record and defected last summer like that's broken by DJ's that's broken by Corolla playing it in Ibiza and all the DJs getting on it you're not telling me for a second that if if he if he brings Joy's to the table in April of this year that record blows up like, it just doesn't. And, you know, even, you know, the, the track, is it John Sumner who the d- defected record um, this year? Like, that was a great record, it went to number one, but no one loves it because no one was in Ibiza, drunk, dancing on a terrace. Living as Yeah, yeah. living the, you know, because, you know, and, and I'd love to get your opinion on this, but like, for me, songs are emotions, they're memories, they're connections, they're everything. And like, yeah, there are some records that are just great records. But a lot of the time, the reason you love something is it's connected to a time, a place, an emotion, a vibe, and like that's born of dance floors, it's born of festivals, it's born of terraces, of after parties, of morning afters, the night before, and like that to me is why great records could have been released this summer that won't have the same sort of gravitas in the future that records of previous summers and winters did have. Um, and I was so I was going to ask you, are you just keen to? get stuff released are you trying to hold it back a little bit or are you just thinking no get the music out there and get people hearing it
1: i think yeah i mean you're you're so right about all of that and i do feel like especially a record like rejuvenate probably would have had a way different life had it been able to have the live dj support because i know it gets a lot of love and a lot of people will play it out but or have played it out like on the live streams and stuff but i mean obviously it's not the same and yeah you know i think it's kind of just been like I, I've made so much. I mean, I I really have done a lot in the pandemic. I mean, I've got enough to get through this year. This year's already like pretty much all signed. Nice. And we're making arrangements for next year already. We have some you know conversations with some labels and stuff, and um, pretty much you know have enough music to get me through up until twenty twenty one for sure. I mean, uh, I guess twenty twenty two yeah so and what
0: are the dream labels like what i mean you're already on some pretty nice labels with tool room and and big beat and stuff but where and obviously basement sound the new one do you have a, a dream label that you're not on yet or do you have an idea of starting your own label where's your where's your head at with that kind of stuff
1: yeah i'll tell you i've got some other stuff that's going to be coming out this year i got one on perfect havoc nice and another one with box of cats okay so, uh, if you know that one, Kyle Watson, Wongo, a bunch nice. of guys involved. And, um, that's another collab with N to N. Cool. Yeah. Um, from, from juice and fame. the one on perfect havoc. Yeah. And the one on perfect havoc is with Ryan S who ended up becoming good buddies with, who's done a lot of stuff with Alex Preston.
0: Yeah. So oh, that's um, a perfect havoc one. That's a UK, like a UK label that's doing really well with, um, you yeah, with Joel Corey and yeah. all that kind of stuff. So that's a, uh, you could, be, you could be top of
1: the charts with that one. I look forward to it. We'll see. Yeah, we got a really nice one lined up there. Really excited about that one. And, you know, you do these deals, there's options on the table. So we'll see what, what's going to kind of roll out through next year and see what I have that these guys are into. Um, but, yeah, I mean, let me see. Dream labels. I mean, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't, wasn't working on a super, like, old-school classic disco record right now that I would love to have out on Glitterbox
0: nice okay but,
1: um you know i love that that whole kind of list of labels under the defected you know umbrella yeah but uh have you, I really
0: been to, also, a... have you been to ibiza have you been to some of those big parties in ibiza or have you been to kind of a glitter box or a, a defected night or anything like that
1: no i haven't been to any of the parties in ibiza um or any of the defected glitter box parties in europe but i've seen plenty of content but they do <laughs> yeah. they do glitter box in new york right they do, yeah. They did run House of Yes, and I, I think I was DJing somewhere else that night, and I couldn't go to okay. that one, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, check out, um, if you haven't listened already, we have um, a previous episode is with Louis Dunmore, who is Simon Dunmore's son, who owns Defected and stuff, and he's actually at University in Newcastle. Um, and we, oh, nice. And we had him booked to do my night uh, the weekend that Boris Johnson closed down all clubs and bars. Oh shit! He, he Johnson, <laughs> yeah, Boris Johnson made the announcement on Friday, on Thursday the thirteenth, that on Friday the fourteenth, everyone had to close, and we had Louis Dunmore booked on Saturday the fifteenth. So we'll have to get that uh, rearranged. But shout out to shout out to Louis. We were just talking before we started. We pressed record. I mentioned to you that I've just used something called Sound Better. Um, which is like an app and I've used it to connect with a top line writer. But like you said, there's, there's live musicians on there. There's producers, there's, there's, there's mix artists, but you started to tell me something about it was bought or just go back into that again. Talk to me a little bit. Oh more. yeah.
1: So yeah. Spotify, I think, re- or bought, purchased sound better. I think like within the last year Okay. before that, it was just kind of like an open platform of uh, people offering services, you know? So it's called sound better because you can actually get like, pretty highly credited mixing engineers and producers to yeah. offer you the service for really low prices. I mean, there's some mixing... Like, a lot of guys go by fake names, and so they'll be like, oh, yeah, I have mixing credits with The Weeknd, Britney Spears, all this big stuff, and I'll mix your record for, like, $250. <laughs> You're It's <laughs> like, well, I don't even understand. I mean, is it just the assistant coming in and doing it, like a little side hustle, or... Are you getting the real deal? I mean, it's probably going through some really cool equipment, so it's going to sound good no matter what. I have no idea, but um, they don't use their real names, and there's guys that have, like, award-winning credentials and all this and that that are offering this stuff for dirt cheap. So it's actually really competitive, and it has kind of really devalued <laughs> those arts. Okay. I mean, like, so I found you it you go to, like, I you found go to, like a really... high-mixing... Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I was just gonna say.
0: See, so I wasn't looking for those services. I was just looking for like some top line stuff. Um, what I find not easy to 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 find is <clears throat> someone who can write the top line, sing the top line, and record it and comp it to a good enough level so that when I get the stems from them. It's usable because you can find people that can sing, but they can't write. You can find people that can write and sing, but try and record it into their iPhone and send you it like, you know, a stem from a, yeah. a an audio note or whatever. So I think I just found it through like Spotify for artists or something and had a click on it and had a little look. And um, I just found this girl, Clementine Clem. She just had something out on Tool Room, weirdly enough. And I would just hit her up and I was like, look, I've got this track. I'm looking for... top line like she was like cool I mean this was like like, I think this was like Friday morning right I've just she sent me the stems just as I called you like so like and we've done it all just remotely she was like what's the theme for the track I gave her some themes like you know she wrote the melody in the top line she sent me a little demo I was like yeah that's cool what about this and change that and what about here and she was like okay and then um and then yeah she like literally went away and did that and I was like yeah that's really cool to be honest I, I'll i send you it later. I don't think I'm going to use the vocal that she's done on the track that she's done it on. I think I'm going to write a new track around it. But oh, yeah. I found it a super like quick and easy way to, to do that. And the reason I wanted to talk about it was because I know that there'll be a lot of people listening who are like, I don't know how to find top line people. I don't know how to find a mix and master engineer. I don't know how to find a songwriter. Like, and I think that's kind of, if you're not like right, you're hooked into like this world of pu- musicians, producers. You live in New York. There's loads of little DJ producers who live in tiny little cities, you know, across the UK or across the US who, ha- who aren't hooked into music scenes. And I just thought it was a great resource to find
1: these people. Yeah, there's another one also. So like, yeah, I guess when you're a DJ and you pretty much make music, instrumental music, and can't sing and write vocals and and do that, then you have to outsource your vocals, right? (laughs) And that's the hardest part. And you're just like, man, I just need tons of vocals and I can make tons of songs. Yeah, Yeah, you know, shoot, there's another website, I can't remember the name of it, which is absolutely no help to the conversation (laughs) here, but there's a few, there are a few resources like that. There's one that's specifically just for vocalists for dance music. Okay. Or or any song, I guess, any type of music. But I, you can also I go to, like, Fiverr. You know Fiverr? Yeah. That's a good place. That's a good resource to, like, hire musicians to replace string and horn samples or get guitar player or get vocalists. Um, you can find a lot of different vocalists on there. They usually have little demos. You can hear their voice. Um, I've tried it a couple times, and I got some okay results one time, but I sent them lyric and melodies that I wrote. Right
0: which 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 yeah which is a, which is a which is a a possibility for you but not always for me like I tend to have like someone needs to help me start like I, I tend to might have a theme for the the vocal that I'd like or I might have kind of a you know a broad ref, point of reference and then when someone starts to write something I'm like oh yeah cool well that would work there or but it's the sort of the just having the confidence to think that I can write a top line to me kind of just feels a little bit more daunting than than it you know than it does. But I, I like I said, I, what I really wanted to bring it up because I found it qu- quite a pleasant experience, and for me, it was a good way of connecting with someone that I would have probably found quite difficult to connect with. And obviously, there's it sort of works a little bit like not eBay, but like you kind of. You don't pay them directly. You put some money into something, and then I guess there's a way of a dispute or something. If something, it just feels quite trustworthy. It feels quite like a legitimate way to to do it. Other other than that, but um, but yeah. So that's that's it, man. I'm going to start winding it up a little bit. There's two things that we do at the end of the podcast um, to sort of wind it up. The first one is I'm going to ask you to kind of curate like a dream gig um it's normally like a dj lineup but you can have live stuff like daft punk or chemicals but if you want to put a band on it you can um You put all bands, I don't really care. It's just, it's just, it's in the moment. Like, it's just now. It's like literally now you might change your mind in half an hour, 10 minutes, three days. It's just how you're feeling. Like, you know, this afternoon, sat in in Brooklyn, and maybe you haven't been out of the house for a few days, so that might influence it. (laughs) Uh, We've we've been in the middle of the midst of a global pandemic, so that might influence it. But I'm going to look for a venue. So I want a venue that this this gig's going to take place in at, in, it can be an actual venue that you've been to or played in before. It can be like just a generic thing, like an underground basement, a, a 50,000 people festival, a, a, a soccer stadium. But I want a, I want a, I want a venue where this is going to take place. And then I want like three acts that are going to perform. There's not so much a headliner. It's just like a, you know a, a, a three-act top bill. You can be on it as Lefty. You can be on it as Cobra Starship. You can be on it as Ivy Lee. You can be on it. You can be on it, or you can not be on it. However you want. But I just want three acts. You can put DJs back to back. You can put bands doing live sets. You can put bands doing DJ sets. It can literally be anything, dead or alive. This is just a sort of. It was if it's on in you, you can create it. It's going to happen tonight. You can go. You can play, or you can just be
1: part of it. Lefty, give me a give me a dream gig, man. Ah, man. Let me see. I don't know. I'm thinking all sorts of thoughts now that you've mentioned so many starter ideas. And so (laughs) I I really, you know, I'm super bummed I haven't gotten to see Daft Punk ever. So I think they would definitely be on the bill. Nice. With the pyramid. Which just, with the pyramid, of course. Yeah, you got to have the light show. And I'm kind of wondering what a new, like a modern show would look like, to be honest with you. Would there be live instruments and more video stuff? I mean, I don't even know. Um, that would be really cool, and I don't know. see, I go there and I just start thinking just all French stuff, so i'm immediately- like, well, I also love justice, yeah, so they can be on the bill, and then I think I'd have to have kind of one wild card around that, but I don't know who it would be, gosh, on the spot right now jeez tough spot so many so, flavors you know who I really like a lot actually which doesn't really fit the bill but would be really cool <laughs> this is I've just been listening to a lot of his music lately Angelo Ferreri oh cool nasty disco guy been yeah. jamming on a lot of his stuff lately so yeah wh- when are we going to have it
0: are we are just going to have it like in a festival have you got a place in mind
1: you know, I think he'd be a good starter to this build, By the way, just to kind of warm everybody up into some disco moves, <laughs> and then it turns into full. Then it turns into a full show <laughs> performance with the other acts. Unfortunately, they're not all DJs, but um, you just got me really focused on that. Let me see. This would take place. Uh, you know what, man? I really miss Output here in Brooklyn. an yeah. incredible music venue. I'm so fortunate I got to go as much as I did. It was it's really close to my house. Yeah, my friend I is, love that a
0: spot. guy from Newcastle called Christoph. He is like a kind of progressive house DJ. He does a lot of stuff with Prids. Uh, and he's like a, a sort of old pal of mine from Newcastle. And he played Output. And I saw the videos. It looked awesome. Like it looked an amazing, amazing venue.
1: Really sick. Yeah. I mean, they did a lot of cool stuff there, too. I went one time. They had a noise show. They did like a full on noise I don't know if you're familiar with that scene of music, but there was actually big in the early 2000s. just like noise bands where they just literally like filter distort reverb noise for an hour. And <laughs> if they had a, like, they were one of the first places that had a big function one system in it. There were a couple in New York, but they had one yeah. that was just like amazing sounding.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know them. yeah really
1: random random dream show i wouldn't i wouldn't call that my all-time dream show but on the spot oh no, no yeah that's, that would be pretty sick that's, yeah that's the
0: point <laughs> of it it's not like you know i'm not going to hold you to this forever it's just it's just in the moment yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. so the, the last thing that we're going to do is well before we do this if anyone wants to find out more about you and your music hit me with some links or what are your handles on socials how can people go and find out more about lefty and, and hear some of this fantastic music
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, I am at Lefty Music everywhere. L-E-F-T-I Music. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, SoundCloud, Facebook, LeftyMusic.com has all the same you know, links on there. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Although I don't go by Lefty Music as an artist, that is where you can find me on the internet.
0: Cool, that makes sense. And what we're going to do is, you're going to tell me, I'll do it in post. You might have to send it to me, you might not. But I want you to announce (laughs) introduce a record that's going to play the podcast out now this it can be anything again this is like in the moment so someone who's been listening to this podcast for the last hour or so it can be like a brand new one of your records it can just be an old 80s thing it can be like a record that reminds you of moving to florida it can be a record that reminds you of moving back to to new york but it's just this chat that we've had in this hour someone's been listening to it they're driving their car they're You know, they're they're going for a run or whatever. They're just walking along, and I just want a record that's sort of in your mind right now. You'd like people to hear, so you know, use it as you will as a promotional thing or just as a throwback to something you love or whatever you want. But just introduce it, name the record, tell people why they're going to hear it, and then um, that's what they're going to hear to play the podcast out, man.
1: All right. Well, this record actually is pretty current very current and I got it recently on track source and love it and I'm obsessed with it um you're like what is it gonna be <laughs> there's no real sentimental story besides I just really love it it came out on classic music company okay. uh it is by Mike Dunn but is a if I can't get down Moose Tees funky shizzle extended mix
0: yeah
1: it's so nasty
0: yeah nice man well thank you so much for the chat it's been delightful and i hope to see lots more of your music and i hope to see you uh soon whether it be in Ade next year or miami next year or something like that man thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me
1: thank you my pleasure thanks a lot man take care
0: Felix light is in the house the podcast about djs what they do and who they are